0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show As we wrap up the week, let's have a visit with the laziest, most out of shape, and lover of all things delicious Nero Wolf played by Sidney Greenstreet. He was a British actor who didn't work in films until the age 62, but enjoyed a run of notable hits in a Hollywood career lasting just eight years. He's best remembered for his Warner Brothers films with Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre, which include The Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, and Passage to Marseille. Now, of course, we remember him as the actor who portrayed Nero Wolfe on radio from 1950 to 1951. He suffered from diabetes and Bright's disease, that's a kidney disorder, and five years after leaving films, Green Street died in 1954 in Hollywood due to complications from both conditions. Now to tonight's program entitled The Final Page. Ladies and
2: gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery adventure. Nero Wolfe's
3: office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What?
2: Oh, Fritz,
3: yeah, I thought it was the outside line. Yeah? Yes, thanks. I'll be right down, Fritz. Boss, Mr. Wolf, will you please hurry?
4: You're well aware that it will avail you nothing to hurry me? Why Mister
3: Mr. be in such a rush today? But the car, it's downstairs waiting. Fritz is all ready.
4: Let him wait. Isn't it enough that I've agreed against my better judgment to leave the comforts of home to go rushing through the crashing traffic of the city? To a dinner. That should be an inducement. Fritz could have prepared a delicious dinner. He has truffles in the
3: pantry. Why did you promise Arthur Merle? You didn't have to accept the invitation.
4: Quite so. He's an old friend. Besides, he does set an excellent table. It's just that I don't like the traffic.
3: Traffic? (laughs) I know why. It's that awful oxygen in the atmosphere outside. It's not the traffic.
4: Archie, you're talking much too much.
3: I know, boss. I'm impatient. Would you mind giving me some slight indication that you intend to move from that chair? Just as soon as I finish this beer... Sure you wouldn't care for half a dozen sandwiches before we go to dinner?
4: If we were going anywhere other than to Arthur Murrow's, I'd agree with you. He's the only person in the world I know of, except myself, of course, who has a proper appreciation and respect for the art of preparing good food. (laughs)
3: I usually refer to this story as the case of the final page. Under normal circumstances, the last page of a manuscript would be absolutely worthless unless you read all the preceding pages. But in this instance, the final page held the answer to a murder. Without that page, we couldn't arrive at the solution. Actually, we didn't even know the problem. Anyhow, I finally got Nero Wolfe to the lobby of Arthur Merle's apartment
5: building. Going Going up. Up, please. Are you going up, gentlemen?
3: Are you, honey?
5: Certainly. It's my job.
4: Then so are we. After you, boss. When did they install women elevator operators in this building?
5: I've been here for two years. Floor, please.
3: Arthur Merle's apartment, I believe it's 814.
5: That's right, are you Mr. Wolf? Uh,
3: no, this is Mr. Wolf. I'm Archie Goodwin.
4: Although the name Wolf would be much more appropriate for him than for me. How did you know he was Mr. Wolf?
3: Mr. Merle came in half an hour ago.
4: He mentioned that he was expecting you. You see, Archie, you rush me unnecessarily. We practically preceded him here, and we'll probably have to wait interminably for dinner. I just hate to be late. Arthur Merrill has never been on time in his life. He's no more punctual than any other writer. He's never been known to meet a deadline on time. And
5: this is your floor, gentlemen. Arthur Merle is just down the hall to the right, 814.
3: Uh, thank you. And uh, by the way, I want to compliment you on your congenial attitude, miss. I'll speak to the management.
5: Oh, thank you, sir. Decent of you.
3: Uh,
4: what's your name, huh? Women are usurping everything.
3: Really cost to live here. Merle's really in the chips?
4: Every book he writes has a million copies.
3: Remember the last time we had dinner with Arthur Merle? I do. Delicious. Mountain Quail shot them himself. Yeah, he's quite a marksman.
4: Archie, such proficiency as Arthur Merrill displayed in hunting is evidence of a wasted life. Sure, he probably
3: never made over $500,000 a year in his whole life.
4: Well, ring again, don't just stand there. Surely he's expecting us. The elevator operator said he was? Yeah, she seemed quite well informed. If I were a judge of women, which I am not, I'd say she has a line on every male in the building.
3: She can get a line on me anytime she wants.
4: Archie, your insatiable interest in the female seems sometimes to border on the psychopathic.
3: You know a more pleasant way to go crazy? Phooie. There's strange, there's a light on in there. I can see it under the door. Shall I try the
4: door? Do so, Archie. Thank you. Mm. Unlocked. But well, at least we can get in. He may be in the bedroom.
3: Probably in the kitchen.
4: I'll just sit
6: here. <sighs>
4: I must forget the comforts of my own home. I certainly intend to avail myself of the comforts of Arthur Merle's. Hmm.
3: Very much over decorated. You wouldn't like heaven unless they had orchids and beer.
4: Hmm. Not a chair in the place worthy of the name. Well, I'll try that, Devan, while you have a look around. For what? Arthur Merle, of course. Suppose you have a look in the study. Maybe writing. Have a look, my boy. I am exhausted and thirsty. See if he has any... Boss! Vi- Good heavens, Archie, don't shout. Ugh. I'm coming. It's Arthur Merle. Look, slumped
3: over his desk. A knife in his back.
4: Yeah, he's quite dead.
3: You haven't touched anything? Certainly not. I've been around long enough to know that.
4: Well, you just call Inspector Kramer at homicide.
3: How long do you think he's been dead? I'd say a half hour.
4: From all appearances, yes. And perhaps only ten
6: minutes.
3: I can't understand it. Why would anyone want to kill Arthur Murrow? Everybody liked him. This man, I'd expect such a thing to happen to.
4: The answer is probably a considerable distance from the question, Archie.
3: Inspector Kramer, homicide. Archie Goodwin, Inspector. Just a minute, Narrow Wolf wants to speak to you. Oh. on a night like this. It's ten below zero. I'm sorry.
4: you here, boss. Hello, Inspector.
7: Yes? What is it this time, Wolf? Find a dead body on the grand storm?
4: <laughs> I'm sorry you'll forgive any apparent failure to find humor in your little witticism, but I'm at Arthur Merle's apartment. I suggest you come here at once. Seems that Arthur finally met a deadline. <laughs>
7: So, you just walked in here and found Merle dead, huh?
4: We were invited here for dinner. Hmm.
7: Anyone else around when you got here? No. You see anyone, Goodwin? Only the elevator operator who brought us up. Well, Mr. Wolf, since you were in on the ground floor, maybe you've got some ideas.
4: Sorry, Inspector. Had I been able to solve the crime so soon, I would have advised you, Inspector.
7: <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's obviously murder. Obviously. You knew him well? Quite well. Ever know of his being in any trouble?
3: No. Everybody liked him. Arthur Merle, I felt, didn't have an enemy in the world. That's so.
7: I don't think anybody pulled this as a little friendly gesture.
4: Don't jump to conclusions, Inspector. That this murder was committed necessarily by an enemy of Merle's. Meaning? It could have been an absolute stranger. A woman? Or a burglar, or a madman, or a crank, or... As far as we know, it could have been anybody in the city, Inspector. i have been dead nearly an hour. And an hour ago, I was in my own home, sitting comfortably in my own big easy chair, drinking a delectable glass of beer. Someone at the door allow
7: you... Yeah, just a minute. I'll answer that. Mr.
8: Merle? No. Uh, Well, is Mr. Merle here? Yes, he's here. But he's not seeing anyone. Well, he's expecting me. I'm from the Serve right Catering Company. We're ready to serve for four here tonight. Their dinner has been canceled. Oh, but it's been ordered. Breast of guinea hen, cooked in wine and cloves. Delicious. It's prepared and waiting. I'm afraid that I must insist on seeing Mr. Mr. Merle. Mr. Merle has been murdered. Well, I'm afraid I must uh, Murdered? Murdered? Well, oh, my goodness, but... Well, in that case, I... Yes, Good evening.
4: Don't you think you might have taken a bit more time with the fellow, Inspector? Why? You might at least have let him serve the dinner. Guinea hand, wine, and clove sounded positively, delectably... Look,
7: I've had dinner.
4: I'm afraid you're too busy, Inspector. So busy that you've just passed up an extremely interesting bit of information.
7: What are you talking about, Wolf?
4: He said he was to serve dinner for four.
7: Well? Arthur
4: Merle, Archie,
7: and myself are only three. Well, who else was supposed to be here?
4: A fourth guest who either hasn't arrived yet or who arrived earlier and left.
7: Oh, I see what you mean, Wolf.
4: Good. In that case, I'll leave you to pursue your deductions from that premise. Archie, will you please stay with the inspector and be of any help that you can? As for myself, I'm going back to my own home, which I should never have left in the first place. (laughs)
7: Okay, that finishes the apartment search, Goodwin. And what have we? Nothing. Except that Merle had over $300 in his pocket, and he was wearing a ring worth a couple of thousand, so it couldn't have been robbery. And I don't think it was premeditated murder. Why not? The weapon. Obviously, if someone had planned on killing Merle, he'd have prepared it better. He used a better weapon than a blunt paper knife. No, as I see it, someone was here before you and Wolf arrived, and for some reason that person found it necessary to kill Merle, and he did it on the spur of the moment. I'm listening. It's obvious. Merle was slumped over his typewriter. The sheet of paper was in it. He'd been working.
3: May I see it? Yeah.
7: Starbreaker. Strange title.
3: Page 189. He was getting well along with his latest mystery. Apparently. Okay. Gregory Thorne slipped the paper into his pocket. It was just an ordinary piece of paper, but Gregory knew its value. Used properly, as Greg knew how to use it, it would be worth $100,000. He walked away briskly, and as he... That's all. Yeah, that's
7: all. Must have been writing. No, I'd
3: like to read the rest of it.
7: We didn't find any more of it. Any other ideas? No, at the moment we seem to be right where the murderer himself left off. Oh, what is this, open house?
5: Sorry to be so... Oh. Oh, what? I was... I mean, I expected to see Mr. Murrow. Is he here? Well, who are you? Cynthia Roberts.
7: He expecting you?
5: Well, no. That is... Uh, a... Come
7: on in, Miss Roberts. Thank you.
3: Maybe the young lady is trying to say that he didn't have to expect her. Maybe she felt free to call without advance notice, Inspector. Inspector? Uh, I... What did you want to see Mr. Merle about?
5: I... Well, I'm his fiancée. Oh. Had
7: dinner yet, Miss Roberts?
5: Why, yes, I had dinner earlier. Uh, when were I...
7: you last here, Miss Roberts? But
5: Last night, after the theater, Arthur and I were... What's the matter? Is something wrong?
7: I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Miss Roberts, but Arthur Merle was murdered. (laughs) And you say you hadn't talked to Mr. Merle all evening. Is that right, Miss Roberts? Yes,
5: that's right.
7: You didn't have a date with him tonight? Oh, no. Then why did you come here?
5: I told you we were engaged. I... I just came by, that's all. I see. Any more questions, Inspector?
7: Yeah, none for the present. How about you, Goodwin? Nope. But maybe Wolf. Let me call him. Yes, I guess under the circumstances, we can't very well leave him out. Go ahead.
5: Oh, Austin, I just can't believe it. Why would anyone want to kill him?
7: That, Miss Roberts, is a question we'd all like to know the answer to.
3: Yeah,
6: Wolf speaking.
3: Archie, boss, I'm still at Merle's. We haven't found out anything new except that Arthur's fiancé dropped in a few minutes ago.
6: Did she know anything of interest?
3: I don't think so.
7: What does the inspector plan to do about
3: it? Just a minute. He wants to know what you're going to do with it. Well, hold her, of course. He's going to hold her. Let me speak to him. Okay.
7: He wants to talk to you, Inspector. All right. Hello.
4: Inspector, I suggest you let the young lady go.
7: Are you crazy? I haven't got enough suspects in this deal to be letting the hottest one go free.
4: You can't consider her a suspect simply because she knew Arthur. Now
7: see here, Wolf. If
4: you go around arresting people at random, you'll suddenly be tipping your
7: hand to the real murderer. Admitting that you don't have a real clue to go on. And just what do you suggest?
4: Find a motive, Inspector. Find a motive. Then if you stumble on a suspect, you'll have some basis for making an arrest. At the moment, I suggest that you let the girl go and tell Archie to stop wasting his time down there and come home at once.
8: So that's
3: the story, boss. We went over that place with a fine-tooth comb. Nothing. There's not a single suspect. The last person to see Arthur alive was the elevator girl.
4: Correction, Archie. The last person to see Arthur Marley alive was the person who ended his life.
3: Well, I just can't imagine that pretty little elevator gal.
4: You don't solve crimes
3: by imagination, Archie. Then there's Cynthia Roberts, his fiance. You suspect her? Not exactly, but just suppose she did have a motive. Maybe he threw her over. Wouldn't it have been very clever of her to come back to Arthur's apartment after the police arrived, allegedly looking for him?
4: I thought you were the admirer of the Fair of Six, Archie. So far, the best you can do is practically accuse the elevator girl and Arthur's fiancée of murder.
3: Well, who else is there? Certainly the fellow who came with the food doesn't count. I
4: repeat, who else is there? The entire population of the city, Archie. Thanks.
3: Well, that's all I get. Oh, there was something else. What? This. Page 189 of what appears to be Arthur's latest novel. It was in his typewriter. As you can see, just started the page.
6: Hmm,
3: Starbrainer. Very interesting. What's the rest of it? That's all we found.
4: What? And there was something missing. Archie. Yes, boss? First thing tomorrow morning, get the address of Mr. Morton, who publishes Arthur's books. Then get over to see him right away.
9: Yes, may I help you?
3: I'd like to see Mr. Morton. Uh, Did you have an appointment? (laughs) Tell him I'm from Homicide. Uh,
9: Oh, yes, sir. Yes? Uh, Mr. Morton, I know you have someone with you, but uh, there's a gentleman here from the Homicide Bureau. He wants to see you.
3: Tell him I work for Nero Wolfe. My name's Goodwin.
9: His name is Goodwin. Send him in. Yes, thank you. You may go right in, sir. The large store to your right.
3: Thanks.
10: Come in, Mr. Goodwin. Come in. I understand you're from Homicide.
3: Not exactly. I'm Nero Wolfe's assistant. We're working with Inspector Kramer. And what can I do for you? You've heard about Arthur Merle. Yes, I received the word when I came
10: in this morning. It was a great shock. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. This gentleman is Henry
8: Childs. How do you do, Mr. Childs? Glad to meet you, Mr. Goodwin. You're with Nero Wolfe? I'm his, well, his assistant, Man Friday. Mr.
10: Childs is a publicity agent. He handled all publicity for
8: Arthur Merle. I've not only lost an excellent client, but a very good friend. Did you know Mr. Merle? Yes, I've met him a number of times with Mr. Wolfe. Yes, indeed. Arthur Merle was a great writer and a fine citizen. He'll be missed by millions. Mr. Goodwin, when was the murder discovered? Last night, shortly before dinner. Well, what did the police, I mean, what do you think the motive was? Don't know as
3: yet, Mr. Charles. A little early for that. Well, it's certainly a shame. I, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions, Mr. Morton, privately. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Charles.
8: Oh, no, no, not at all. I was about to leave. I'll run along now, Mr. Morton. Uh, See you again soon, Mr. Child. Good morning, gentlemen.
10: Well, Mr. Goodwin,
8: you did a
3: lot of business
8: with Mr. Merle, Mr. Morton?
10: I published every one of his novels for the past eight years.
3: And you intended to publish his new one, the one he was working on? Yes, we had a contract. The usual agreement between you. Naturally. Although I didn't know the
10: story. I was always sure that if Arthur wrote it, it was good. Mr. Murrow's name on a novel was a guarantee that it would sell a million copies. You don't know what this last one was about. haven't the faintest idea.
3: We relied completely on Arthur's judgment. Not even any carbon copies, Not that I know of. Why? When Mr. Murrow was killed, the only thing missing from his apartment was the novel. The novel? The first 188 pages. All we found of it were a few lines of page 189 in his typewriter. He must have been working on it when the murderer stabbed him. The rest of it's gone. You mean, Goodwin, the, the novel's gone? Oh, this will cost me a million dollars. Well, it cost Arthur Merle his life.
10: Arthur Merle dead and his novel gone. I can hardly believe it.
3: Well, thank you, Mister Morton. Oh, I hope I've been of some help. Although I am sorry, quite. you haven't. But we may call on you again. Before it's over, you may be a great help.
4: Here, yeah, Wolf speaking. he never made carpets. I see. Where
6: do I go from here, boss?
4: See Cynthia Roberts.
6: Oh, then you have not dismissed the possibility that she may have had
4: something to do with it. Being his fiancée, she probably knows more about Arthur than anyone else. She may know who the fourth guest was to have been last night. And she also may know what Merle's novel was about.
6: Right, boss. I'm anxious to know what the novel
4: was about, too. I personally don't give a hang what the novel was about. What I want to find is someone who does know the story. Because I have a hunch that whoever knows that is the person who killed Arthur Merle.
3: Miss Roberts, I know you want to help us find out who killed Arthur.
5: Oh, yes, of course. I'll do anything.
3: Nero Wolfe and I were invited to have dinner with Arthur Merle last night.
5: Well, I knew he was having friends in for dinner, but I didn't know who they were.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I hoped you'd know whom he invited.
5: No, he didn't tell me.
3: Miss Roberts, we have reason to believe that there was to have been a fourth person there last night. A a fourth? The caterer came to deliver dinner for four. Now, the fourth party never did show up, or else came earlier and left after Arthur was killed.
5: You mean someone Arthur invited to dinner might have killed him? Maybe. Oh, there's no one that I can think of who bore any ill will toward Arthur. We're
3: convinced that this was done on the spur of the moment. Unpremeditated murder. Arthur Merle suddenly became a threat to someone. Now we've got to find out what the threat was and who was threatened. We'd hoped you could help.
5: I'm sorry.
3: Did he ever discuss his new novel with you?
5: Oh, no. He never talked about his stories until he'd finished them.
3: So his latest mystery contains the answer to an even greater mystery. Unless we find the first, they'll both go unanswered.
4: Mr.
6: Morton?
4: Yes? Neil Wolf speaking.
6: Oh, yes. Your man Goodwin was here to see me.
4: I presume you are interested in seeing Merle's murderer brought to the justice? Certainly. Arthur was a close friend of mine. And his death cost you a best, sir, I know. Now, would you be willing to help a bit?
0: Why,
4: yes, if I. I prepared a statement for the papers. I want you to call the literary editors first thing in the morning. Here's what I want you to tell them. You got a pencil and paper? Yeah. And take this down. Quote, Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to his schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publishers with carbon copies of each day's work, consequently with the major portion of his... Boss! Boss! Good heaven, R.G., please
3: don't be so loud. Look here, in this morning's paper. Why, that rat, he lied to me that, that... What on earth are you talking about? That publisher Morton, he said he didn't have copies of Merle's manuscript, that he didn't know what it was about. And, li- and listen to this. Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publisher with carbon copies of each day's work. Consequently, with a major portion of his latest work, Starbreaker, in the hands of his publisher, together with a complete synopsis, including the denouement, it will be possible for a ghostwriter to complete the novel. It will be published posthumously in proceeds where... Boss, did you hear that?
4: I did, and it couldn't have been more to my liking if I'd written it myself. Now, excuse me. I want to make a telephone call. Who? Publisher Morton.
3: Yeah, I'm beginning to see. He lied about the whole thing. I still don't see why he'd kill Merle,
4: but on... Hello, Mr. Morton. This is Nero Wolfe. Yes, perfect. Now I'll call Kramer, and he and Archie will be waiting for you. Remember now, if anything comes of it, you are to say the manuscript is in the safe in your home, and you steer the party here. Say you've recently rented this place. I hope we'll be seeing him. Yes. Goodbye. Oh, and be careful. Remember what happened to Arthur. The manuscript is in my desk in the middle drawer. What the... You mean, Archie, look out of that window. Huh? Yeah? Out there is a city of some five million people. In that five million, there is one who murdered Arthur Merle. Now, we don't know who it is, so we can't go out and put a finger on him. But, Archie, since we can't go to him... Have only one other choice, make him come to us.
7: Will you tell me why we're sitting here in the dark in Wolf's office? Yes, Inspector Kramer. Mr Wolf
3: promised us a caller. Mr. Morton is to pretend that he's rented this place recently. Well, who's the
7: caller? Until until he or she gets here. You seem certain he'll come.
4: I'm quite certain. I'm just hopeful. You trying to tell me that Morton killed Merle? You're almost as dense as Archie was. No, Morton didn't do it. Unless
3: Mr. Wolf is very wrong, which is doubtful, before the night is over, Morton will know who did.
7: Then it won't be long until we know, too. You should get on a quiz program. You're so good at guessing games. Listen. Someone's coming.
4: Great introduction, my dear Creamer. I hope there are two of them. Inspector, behind these drapes. Quick, I'll get behind the screen.
8: All right, Mr. Morton. So far, you've been very cooperative. Just keep it up. I have no intention of doing otherwise.
10: Your gun has me completely convinced, Mr. Childs.
8: Get the manuscript. Yes, just a moment. It's in my desk. Wait a minute. I thought you said it was in the safe. a mistake, Mr. Childs. I don't have a safe. Shall I get the manuscript? Yes, but no tricks. You be careful.
10: I'm being exceedingly careful, Mr. Childs.
8: There you are. Starbreaker by Arthur Merle. Yes, this is it. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Now, I trust that's all you want of me? I'm sorry. I wish that were true. Unfortunately, you see, it's not the actual novel that I want. Oh? My interest in this copy is the same as it was in the original. And that is? That no one should ever learn the content. I take it you know what it's about, then? Yes. You see, Mr. Murrow made the mistake of telling me when I called a bit early at his apartment for dinner last evening. I was forced to deprive him of his life once I learned the storyline of this novel. This story must be kept secret. Why? Most of you people in the publishing business know me as a public relations and publicity agent for several prominent writers. Yes? Actually, I've been as successful as I might in this business. Because a few years ago, I stumbled onto a very neat and foolproof method of blackmail. Unfortunately, Arthur Merle thought of the same thing and based this story on it. If it got out, I'd be exposed and sent to prison. So you can see why I had to stop it, why I had to kill Arthur, and why... Now I'll have to kill you, too. Oh, child. for heaven's sake. The contents of these pages condemn me. You know what's in them. Further, I've confessed the murder to you. You don't think I could let you live after that, do you? child? you're insane. I'm sorry that I must repay you for your trouble in such an ungrateful manner. I'm sorry to do this to you. Child, child please, no.
3: Sorry, Mr. Charles, It wasn't
8: time to ask you to drop the gun. All right, Mr. Charles, Get your hands up
3: and stay where you are. Nice going, Mr. Morton. Who are you?
4: Had to courage, Mr. Morton. Sorry we had to wait so long, but we had to make Mr. Charles here convict himself. Convict?
7: What do you mean? We've been waiting here for you. Behind the drapes all the time. We heard every word. Mr. Charles, you're under arrest. Police?
4: Yes, Mr. Charles. Only one person could have been so anxious over a copy of that novel. That's the person who killed Arthur Merle for the original. And we heard you confess to that.
7: And that's
3: all we need to convict you. We didn't have any proof until we set it up for you to make a second try to cover up for the first. Fortunately, the setup worked. Setup? Take a look at the rest of the manuscript, Mr. Giles. What? Oh, the front pages are there, all right, but look at the rest.
8: Further. blank. They're just blank pages. You didn't have a copy
4: at all. No, but we certainly got a murderer, Ainsvigna. Giles! Giles! Stop, Giles! Stop! Well,
3: that's one way to avoid standing trial.
4: Well, Archie, I am glad you and Kramer got trials. Some BRP. That was a
3: clever scheme, boss, making him think there was a copy.
4: Yes. In a way, though, I wish it hadn't been just a scheme. Meaning? I wish there had been a copy of Arthur Merrill's novel.
3: Why? You never read detective stories?
4: No, but I've drummed up so much curiosity over this one, I'd like to know exactly what that blackmail gimmick really was. Good night, Archie. Ah.
2: been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Don Arthur was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman production and is directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin. And Evelyn Eaton, Peter Leeds, Lucille Alex, Marna Keneally, Herb Butterfield, and Bill Johnstone. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Telltale Ribbon. Don Stanley speaking.
1: Stay tuned for Jack Benny next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Jack Benny Show.
11: Starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills. At the moment, Rochester is alone in the kitchen preparing breakfast.
6: Mm-hmm. Look at
11: that table! Sure does look appetizing. A large glass of orange juice, a bowl of corn flakes and cream, two fried eggs, sunny side up, a thick slice of ham, a piping hot cup of coffee, and three honey-covered English muffins. Well, now i better make some tea and toast for Mr. Benny's
6: breakfast.
11: <laughs> uh, I think I'll give him a treat today. I'll scrape the toast. <laughs> no, he likes to do it himself. That's the only exercise he gets. oh
12: here comes the boss now. Good morning, Rochester. Now, let's see. What have we got for... Oh, orange juice, cornflakes, ham and eggs. Rochester, what'd you make such a big breakfast for? You know I'm on a diet. Oh, don' that's right. Now, we can't let all this food go to waste. You made it, and you'll
11: have to eat it yourself. Oh, boss, don't be so mean to me. (laughs) Mean?
12: Well, I've been on a diet a whole month, and every morning I come down and find the same big breakfast. Now, how can you make such a mistake? Well... And what's that strawberry shortcake on top of the oven?
6: That's the dessert for the mistake I'm going to make for dinner. <laughs> what?
11: What did you say, Rochester?
12: Disregard boss. Disregard it. Well, just don't let it happen again. I'll have this tea and toast. Hmm, look how burnt the toast is. It's like charcoal. Give me a knife. I'll scrape it.
6: Yes, sir.
13: Ooh, the
12: toast is hot. You hold it, Rochester.
11: Here.
6: I got
11: it Scrape away Take it easy, boss You're down to me
12: Oh Well, never mind I'll have one of those English muffins That looks good It's got honey all over it And look at that raisin on top
6: That's a bee He's still working on it (laughs)
11: Oh, yeah. Go away, Bee. Go away. Go away.
6: Well, how
12: do you like those California bees? They open the windows
6: themselves.
12: <laughs> Rochester, I'll have my tea now. Never mind. You answer the door. I'll get the tea myself. Yes,
6: sir.
11: There's Mr. Benny Oh Oh, I'm sorry, Rochester I didn't know Didn't know what? Well, that black band You're wearing around your sleeve Oh, this Mr. Benny makes me wear it Every time he loses The Academy Award (laughs) Well, why does Mr. Benny Take it so hard? A lot of actors lose it I know, but he's
6: been losing Since 1902 (laughs) Rochester, what's keeping...
11: Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. So you lost the Academy Award again, huh?
12: Yeah, Crosby won it. And you know, Phil, it's gonna be hard to hate him. He's such a nice guy. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I can hate one of his kids. (laughs) But I'll tell you one thing, Phil. I didn't mind losing the award this year, but I certainly think I should have won it when I made that picture George Washington slept here. George Washington
11: slept here? You didn't even come close that year, did you, Jackson? Close? Washington got more votes than he did.
6: (laughs) Rochester. The bed
11: came in second. (laughs) Never mind. And bring Mr. Harris some coffee. Okay.
12: Phil, what brings you over here so early?
11: Well, Jackson, I got great news for you. You know how you and Mary have always been picking on me for running around and wasting my time? Yeah Well, starting today, I'm going to settle down and be a dignified businessman
12: Well, congratulations, Phil What did you do? Bought a (laughs) saloon
6: What? You
11: know, a a nightclub Oh, a nightclub, that's different Yeah, me and Frankie, my guitar player, are running it And things are going great, Jackson Last night our bartender was so busy mixing them drinks He didn't have time to sit down No kidding Yeah, and tonight ought to be even better We're going to let the customers in (laughs) Oh, Oh, I see So you and Frankie bought a nightclub, eh? What are you going to call the place? Well, I ain't got a name for it yet, but... Well, I got a slogan. A slogan? Yeah, you know, like Duffy's Tavern. Now, their slogan is, uh, where the elite come to eat. Uh-huh. Mine's going to be where the swine come to dine. <laughs> Phil, are you crazy? You going to call your customers swine? When you got to close at 12 Jackson, it'll make no difference what you call them. <laughs> Uh, take my advice, Phil you got a great opportunity to be a businessman
12: If you want to be successful, run your nightclub
11: in a real high-class way Don't you worry, Jackson I'll handle the joint right Here's your coffee, Mr. Hayes Thanks, Rog Hey, what's that noise, Jackson?
12: Oh, that's the sculptor working upstairs <laughs> I wish he'd finish that statue of me and go back
11: to St. Joe How's the coffee, Phil? Well, Jackson Hey, let's turn on the radio and see what's going on, huh? Okay yeah.
6: That was Spike Jones playing Let Me Love You Tonight. (laughs)
13: <laughs> and now, folks, a message on behalf of my sponsors, the Bleeding Heart Finance Company.
6: <laughs>
13: Friends, do you need money? Could you use a little extra cash? Do you want a loan of $10, 50 or $100? You do? <laughs>
12: Get something else, Phil, what
5: do you want? It seems like ages since I've heard his voice. I wonder if it'll be the same when I hear it again. I can't stand this waiting, this waiting, this suspense. I can almost hear him now. Oh, I hope he hasn't changed. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't. Ten more seconds and I'll know. Five seconds. Two seconds. There it is. Four o'clock.
13: Grill when watch time. Tick oh. tock.
6: <laughs> hey,
12: she was wonderful. What a part for Ingrid.
13: <laughs> you get
12: another station fail, will
13: you? Have you been hit by an automobile lately? <laughs> Do you feel run down? <laughs> Are you getting fat? Are you beginning to launch upon? <laughs> Are the spaces between your teeth suffering from middle-age spread?
6: <laughs>
13: if you have these or any other ailments, why not try sympathy
6: soothing? <laughs>
13: Remember, folks, sympathy spelled backwards is your Y-H-T-A-P-M-Y-S. Yes, yes, you tap a yes, yes, you have a yes, yes, it's a mess, try to Yes, folks, sympathy soothing syrup is good for people over 35 and wonderful for people under 35. And to you people who are exactly 35, may I say happy birthday?
6: <laughs>
12: That's sweet. I missed it by one year.
6: (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you our special
13: guest, the singing star of the Lucky Strike program, Larry Stevens.
6: Hey.
12: Hey, that's right, Phil. Larry Stevens told me he was going to be on that show. Yeah, let's give the kid a listen, Okay. wonder how much they pay for guest shots on the Atappamas program.
13: Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest star will be that eminent songwriter, Maxwell Langley, who will play his own composition, the current song hit entitled, Raise the Awning Mother,
6: Daddy's Leading a Shady Life. Hey,
12: that's a good song, Phil. I must learn it on the violin. Raise the awning mother, cause daddy's leading a shady life. No, it's third on the hit parade. There's somebody at the door. Shut off the radio, Phil. Come in! Who is that?
13: It's me, Jack!
11: Oh, hello, Don. Come on in. Hi, Don. Oh, hello, Jack. Hi, Phil. Hello, Don. What are you doing
12: around this way, Don?
11: Well, you know I'm getting a little heavy, Jack, so every morning I go for a five mile horseback ride.
12: Oh. I was
11: out this way, so I thought I'd just drop in. Good, good.
12: Where's your horse?
11: Oh, he's lying down on your front lawn. <laughs> Well, the rest will do him good, isn't it?
6: Say, boss What is the Rochester?
11: I just got into the sculptor's room And he's almost through with
6: your statue
12: He is?
11: Yeah, but you ain't gonna like your expression Why, has he got me frowning
12: or smiling?
6: You can take your choice He gave you two heads <laughs> Two heads? Yeah, you hold one of them on your lap
12: <laughs> Oh, for heaven's sake
6: You look like you're going bowling <laughs>
12: Well, I'm going right
11: up there and tell that wait guy... Wait a minute, Jack. I think that's wonderful. What's so wonderful about two heads? You can smoke two Lucky Strikes at the same time. Well, I'll be there. And between those delightful puffs, one mouth can say L-S-M-F-T, and the other one can answer, Why, sure. You bet. That's right. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. All right, all right. But when that sculptor is finished with my statue, it better be the way I want it. Hey, Jackson, I've got to run along now. See you later. I'm going too, Jack. Oh, Wait a minute, fellas. I'll go out with you. So long, Jackson. Bye, Jack. So long, fellas. Gee, it's so
12: nice out, I think I'll take a little walk.
11: Oh, Rochester, I'll be back in a little while. Okay, boss!
12: This is really a nice day. Yeah, da dee da dum, dum dum da Da dum, bum dee da 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 dum, bum dee da dum. Well, well, look who's here. Oh, I haven't seen you in quite a while.
6: Come here, come here. What's the matter? Why are you crying? Oh,
12: that. Uh, don't take it so hard, lassie. I didn't win either.
6: <laughs>
12: Better luck next year. Yeah, da de, da da-dum, dum da, dum, da dum. <laughs> Raise the awning, mother. Here goes. A daddy is leading a shady life. Oh, oh, uh, a daddy is leading a shady life. Oh, that's a terrific song. Well, I've walked far enough. Guess I'll turn around, and go back. Well, here comes that little girl that's on the Fibber McGee program. Hello, little girl. Hello. <laughs> I bet I know who
3: you are. I betcha. I betcha. I betcha. Hmm.
12: Poor little thing has a cold. <laughs> oh, oh,
11: Mr. Benny. Huh? Oh, it's you, Mr. Kern. Yeah, I was just on my way over to your house. You were? Yes. You know that interview you gave me last week about how you found Rochester was very interesting. My editor liked it a lot.
12: Well, I'm glad. In
11: fact, he liked it so much, he sent me back to get another story.
12: Really? Mm-hmm.
11: He wants to know how you found Mary Livingston.
12: Oh, Mary. Well, Mr. Kearns, this is a rather unusual story. Walk back with me, and I'll tell you all about it. Okay. Now, Mary, as I mentioned last week, joined me on the radio about three months after I got started. I happened to be in Los Angeles at the time, almost 14 years ago. Yes, I remember that was the day I bought this shirt I'm wearing. (laughs) They they give guarantees, you know. Anyway, it was the uh, latter part of 1932. That's right, 1932. I was downtown, and as I was passing the May Company, I noticed they were running a sale, so I stopped to look in the window. Just a gigolo, (laughs) everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Gee, that's a catchy new tune. Dum dum da da dum dum da dum Fall is such a nice time of year Leaves are turning brown and the air is... Hmm, I wonder if Hoover will be re-elected
6: <laughs>
12: I think I'll get me one of those high collars Nah, my neck's too short <laughs> When the blue of the
0: night bo bo boo
12: That new singer has a nice style, but he can't last
6: uh. <laughs>
12: Look at those shirts in the window Silk ones with stripes four ninety-eight marked down to $1.99 I think I'll go in and let them try to sell me one
6: <laughs>
12: Let's see I wonder where they... Oh, pardon me, sir Can you tell me where the shirt counter is?
6: Shirt
11: counter? What are you asking me? Do I look like maybe a floor walking? <laughs>
12: Laura Walker. Well, I thought you were. You see, you're not wearing a hat.
11: In this depression, who could afford her a hat?
12: Oh, I'm sorry. Well, maybe I can help you get a job. What do you do?
11: Well, I do different things. I can be a carpenter. Huh? I am also a plumber. A plumber? Uh-huh. And I'm also a very good painter. Oh,
12: you can do a lot of things, can't you? Yeah,
11: but in this depression, there's nothing to painting. Or to plumpen, or to
6: cutten. <laughs> That's
12: too bad. Well, thanks just the same, but I've got to find the shirt counter. Oh, well, say, maybe I could enlighten you.
6: <laughs>
12: Never mind. I'll find, I'll find it myself. No. <laughs> oh. oh, there it is over there. Boy, look at those sporty shirts. I love those new long pointed collars. What can I do for you, young man?
6: <laughs> I uh,
12: want to buy a shirt. I like this silk one with the stripe. Yes, sir. Shall I wear it for a few days, or do you want to break it in yourself? <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take it now. How much is it? Well, that'll be one dollar and ninety-nine cents. A ninety-nine. Okay. Here's two dollars. Well, I'll have to go upstairs for the change. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. I'll wait. <laughs> Just a gigolo everywhere I go. The people know they... Hey, look at that beautiful dame behind the hosiery counter. What a chicken. I think she's looking at me, too. Gone over and try to date her up.
9: Say, Mary, Mary. What is it, Mabel? Look at that guy over there. He's staring at you. Where? Right over there at the shirt counter. Say, he looks kind of prosperous, don't he? How can you tell? With those bell-bottom pants, he might be barefoot. (laughs) (laughs) Look at him winking at us, with both eyes. And get a load of that straw hat he's wearing, with a bright red ribbon around it. Yeah, and look what it says on it. Oh, you kid. Hey, Mabel, he's tipping his hat at us.
6: Yeah, he's got the string in his pocket.
9: <laughs> oh, wait a minute. He's coming over here. You want me to take him, Mary? No, no, I can handle him.
12: Just
9: a gigolo uh, <laughs>
12: everywhere I go. Uh, uh, people know the part I'm playing.
9: Look at him. He's walking like Cedar Bearer. Yum,
12: dum dee dee Yum, Hello, kiddo. Where have you been all my life?
9: Avoiding it Hey,
12: hey, you're good Just my type I like my tomatoes with a little spice (laughs) (laughs) Say, say, baby What's your name? Mary Mary what? Quite contrary?
9: (laughs) Oh, brother, is this guy corny? (laughs) What was that? Look, my name is Mary Livingston. I was born in Plainfield, New Jersey. I know I should be in pictures, but I'm happy here at the makeup. They think I'm a very good sales girl. Now, what do you want, Jelly Bean? Wait
12: a minute, wait a minute. Take it easy. You got me wrong, baby.
9: Oh, stop tipping your hat. What? And take your bag of peanuts off the counter.
12: No, no, baby. I put those up there on purpose. Help yourself. Huh?
6: yourself. Say,
9: you're a pretty sporty guy. You think so? Yeah. You always carry that ukulele?
12: <laughs> oh, this? <laughs> you ought to hear me out in a canoe.
6: <laughs>
9: Say, I'll bet that ukulele set you back plenty. No, no,
12: they gave it to me when I bought this suit. <laughs> Mary, uh, you don't mind my calling you Mary, do you, ma'am? If I, um, if I wait around and you get through, uh, can I take you home?
9: No, I don't think so. Oh, why not? I got a
12: taxi outside.
9: Look, I went out with a taxi driver once, and the way... I'm not a taxi driver!
6: <laughs>
12: Look, baby, don't you know who I am?
9: No, thrill me.
6: <laughs>
12: well... Hang on to the counter, baby, and brace yourself. I'm Jack Benny.
6: Can
9: I let go of the counter now? (laughs) Oh, you're
12: kidding, baby. You know who I am. I'm a big shot. I've been on the radio three
9: months. So what? My alarm clock's been on the radio three years, and I got that at Woolworth.
12: (laughs) You're a liar. (laughs) Say, you're plenty fast on the trigger. What are you doing working here in a department store? You should be on the radio.
9: What did I tell you, Mabel? I knew it was coming. What? My mother told me there'd be men like you, but I thought they'd be much younger. Much you Say, you're terrific. Listen, baby, you got everything it takes.
12: Good looks and nice speaking voice. And what a personality.
9: I bet you tell that to all the girls. No, I don't. ha, ha, ha.
12: What are you laughing at?
9: The way you're leaning against the counter Why? It's pressing the bulb in your pocket And the water squirting out of that flower in your lapel
12: (laughs) Say, I can't fool you at all, can I? Listen, Mary Mary, listen You ought to be on the radio with me I'll get you places You'll be a big star
9: Say You're not kidding, are you?
12: Of course not Why don't you meet me tonight for dinner? And we'll talk things over
9: Okay You know, there's a nice cafeteria across the street, and we can...
12: Cafeteria? Not when you go out with Benny, baby.
9: I'll take you to the Brown Derby, and
12: afterwards we'll go dancing at the Coconut Grove. When you're out with me, baby, money means nothing. Well, I'll take you... Pardon me, mister. Here's your penny change. Thank you.
6: (laughs)
9: I'll take you any place you want to go. All right, I'll meet you in front of the store at 6 o'clock. I'll be there. So long. So long.
12: Oh, boy, she's going to be great on my radio program. Of course, I don't want to spoil her. I wonder how much they pay her at the May Company. Oh, I'll ask her tonight when we're having dinner at the cafeteria. And that, Mr. Kearns, is how I found Miss Livingston. Well, that's
11: a very interesting story. Well, here's my house, Mr. Kearns. Would you like to come in for a cup of coffee? <laughs> no thanks. I've got to run along now. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye.
12: Yeah <laughs> da. Ladies and gentlemen, the recent meeting of the Big Three at Yalta proved that even though the war is far from over, the Allied nations are preparing for peace in time of war, planning the nucleus, perhaps the fundamental framework of a post-war organization to make certain that war does not come again. Nations are made up of individuals, people like you and me. And we, as individuals, must coordinate our efforts for that post-war peace by supporting all war activities. Now is the time to protect and strengthen our knockout blow by giving freely to the Red Cross, buying and keeping war bonds, giving more blood for plasma, by supporting rationing, writing cheerful V-mail letters to him over there, and sticking to our wartime jobs. There's no difference between individuals and nations. Thank you. folks, this ends another program, and we'll be with you next Sunday night broadcasting from the redistribution station at Santa Barbara. Meanwhile...
9: Oh, Jack, Jack, I'm so sorry I'm late. It's the first time I've ever missed a program.
12: Yeah, what happened to you? Well,
9: I took a nap before the broadcast, and my alarm didn't go off.
12: Well, it's all right, Mary. Don't worry about it.
9: What'd you do, Jack? What was the show about?
12: Oh, nothing. Nothing.
9: Oh, come on, tell me.
12: No, nah, no, nah, you wouldn't be interested. Good night, folks. This is the National
9: Broadcasting Company.
1: Thank you for listening, not just for tonight, but for the past week, too. Just a reminder that I really enjoy hearing your comments, complimentary or otherwise, so please drop me a note at f.proctor at mzmedia.com. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor.